Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Paul Natrage, an artist whose work I discovered through his PhD piece, You Sound Like a Broken Record. I'm just going to tell you what that work involved because I think it offers a nice little pocket insight into the kind of themes that Paul deals with. So he interviewed 14 volunteers about a record that held a special place in their lives and then carved their stories into the surface of the vinyl records themselves and then used these as a basis of a sound work so recorded and reconstructed these inscribed records into 14 distinct pieces i mean there's so much conceptually just to describe that record that i find so fascinating and the actual sonic end product is gorgeous as well last year he also released an album on fractal meat cuts called cobblestones and kitchery he's a busy guy. I mean, he's also involved in a couple of podcasts, among them a uh, podcast called Hooked on Hope, which is the writings of author James Gilbraith on angling and the River Ribble, which Paul skillfully recasts into the audio stream. There's also Kick Down the Barriers podcast, which is about the people and stories from Blackburn, Lancashire, where Paul grew up as a means of cultivating a deeper understanding of shared cultural heritage. And finally, also, there's, there's, well, I say finally, there's so much more besides, but there's his show on Back to Back FM, Out to Lunch. I'll include links to all of this in the show notes, but this is a means of illustrating Paul's multi-directional explorations into sound. He is also fabulous conversational company. We had a great time talking about these records There was a couple of familiar ones in there for me and one absolute revelation. Obviously hearing Paul enthuse about these records gives all of them a new energy anyway. So head to attentionmagazine.co.uk forward slash crucial listening for more information on Paul's picks and links to everything that I've just described. And please enjoy this latest edition of Crucial Listening. Thank you again for everyone who's listening, who's said lovely things and who's leaving reviews. Really appreciate it. This is Paul Natrage on Crucial Listening. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Hello, Jack, and uh, thanks very much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure to have you. So we're going to talk about three important records that you've picked. Before we get to those, I want to talk about a few of your current and recent projects, one of which being Cobblestones and Kichari, which came out on Fractal Meat Cuts last year. So I've been listening to the record. Uh, I can see that it was something that you started working on way back in 2013 and obviously came out last year and it does sound as I've been listening to it like the product of several years of of work so my first question is I'm interested to know 
what did the years of working on this album actually look like? Was it something that you were consistently working on or something that was, you know, kind of floated in and out? Like, what, what did the period of time working on this record look like? Uh, I, I totally floated in and out of it, in a way. Um, so at the same time as I was doing that, I was working on my PhD, really, for a, a good, like, four years of that that time. So from 2014 to 2018 really that was like uh, doing it was called uh, you sound like a broken record the the phd project so mm-hmm. that was that was like my main main focus um but um my dad passed away in 2013 so i've been just dabbling with bits and pieces of stuff like to kind of stop myself getting bogged down in the PhD work really and mm-hmm. uh, and just to explore other things because um, you know it, the PhD stuff can be quite all-consuming right. and um, yeah uh, so I was just playing with other stuff and it just kind of dawned on me a couple of years ago um, that all the stuff that I've been doing externally to the PhD was all based on him <laughs> Uh, right. Yeah, on my dad, or everything that I was kind of working on had links to, back to him, and that was never conceptualized in that way. You know, I never sat down and went, "Oh, I feel really, you know, I've got some cathartic stuff that I need to get out, <laughs> and uh, I need to like deal with what's going on here and whatever." And it ne- it was never conceived like that at all. Uh-huh. I was just doing these things, um, and yeah came to this realization that they were all connected kind of subconsciously or whatever uh, but when i started to pull them together it was like oh wow there's a body of work here which is talking to a certain mindset which is talking to a certain way of thinking about sound which is talking to a certain kind of subjective reality which is talking to my own kind of familial background which is talking to my memory which is talking to kind of this idea of uh things that have that came from the phd which is this way of kind of uh, conceptualizing sound through memory and how that changes over time and the way in which we understand records over time and how Mm. they change and all those kind of influences and all that theoretical stuff um kind of coalesced into into those pieces of work that that ended up making up cobblestones and kitchery so um so yeah that that was that was it really and you know in terms of the working process a lot of those things I was doing let's say I had like an hour's downtime at work I'd just sit with a computer and play with some stuff so uh, it wasn't how, how can I put it it wasn't like okay right I'm going into a studio now and I'm going to go and do this thing right. um, yeah and and actually n- none of what I do is like that <laughs> and, <laughs> um uh, like at all um it, it's all very it's all very organic and very much uh of the moment in terms of like you know picking up a bunch of samples and or picking up a bunch of stuff or you know i'll spend a few weeks just collecting things and putting them in a folder and not really thinking about them at all really and mm. then uh when i've got some time i'll sit down and 
throw them together and see what happens with it or experiment with something that I've seen somewhere else and go you know what I really like to play with this um, and they'll set something up and kind of have a do with it and see what comes of it so it's quite an that whole record was quite an organic process really and um, so this kind of vocal tracks on there or bits of poems and stuff and they weren't written at the time that I was writing the music or whatever it might have been, they they uh-huh. were just scraps of paper that was lying around and I'd written some stuff on them and then I kind of start making the track and go, you know what, oh, I've got this thing, like maybe that'll work over that. And, you know, so it was, it's very much a, a bricolaged approach um, mm-hmm. where I'm just kind of pulling things together and, um, yeah, and, and finding a way through it in many respects and then when it starts to come together it's like okay that that's what it's got to be it has to be that i know what it's got to be now um i'm trying to um to work with those to work with those things so i, I don't know if that answers the question but yeah it's it's, a, yeah, it's absolutely an, it's an in and out kind of process and then things things just kind of come to me and I, and uh, and i mean that in terms of materials right so for example there are samples on that record which are um toothpicks so i contact mic'd up a tin plate that my mum used to make a cheese pie on and uh <laughs> put contact mic on that and then threw loads threw loads of toothpicks at it and got like percussion sounds from that and uh, my dad always carried toothpicks with him um <laughs> so you know um the thing things like that really that were that just were of the moment and mm-hmm. then um and I spent like a lot of time walking around Blackburn because I'm from Blackburn uh, originally in, in Lancashire, and uh, I spent a lot of time kind of walking around my stomping grounds and and re- and field recording. And I, and I, at that point, I didn't really know why I was doing that; just fit, felt like the right thing to do. And then mm. there was a place where my dad used to work that got demolished, so I went up there and I did some recordings of that space. And 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 again, at that point, I didn't really know what I was going to do with that. Um, in a way it just kind of all it all coalesced into into this into that into that album um so it, yeah it was a very organic process really in fact there was one sample that i wanted to ask about which was i can't remember how far in it comes in someone asked to take a picture of a dog i don't know if that's your dog it's really striking just comes in out of nowhere and it's so pronounced what can you tell me about that sample? Yeah, yeah. So um, that track is called Ewood. Um, and um, my dad had a surgery at Ewood. Um, Ewood Park is where Blackburn Rovers play football. And, he, and his, um, his surgery was right next to that. So I think it was a really rainy uh, Friday afternoon. And I went mm. down there with my dog and uh, just sat outside and was field recording, just recording the space. Because I was thinking a lot then about presence and absence, you know, and uh, mm. how how actually sitting in a place in silence can be extremely meditative um, mm-hmm. and can take you back to a certain uh, time and place. And uh, so I was sitting there with the dog um, and he was just sitting next to me chilling 
and this group of uh, <laughs> kids walked past and the girl was like oh your dog's well cute um, <laughs> and then she comes over to try and stroke him and at, at that particular moment a cat walks past and my dog like flies <laughs> off to uh, to catch the cat and you know all those things were were very uh, reminiscent of um of of my memories with my dad my you know we'd go out mm. for a walk and he my dog had run off with the to try and chase a cat and all that kind of stuff so and and really the people of ewood were you know um his patients and uh he was there for 30 odd years and they had a lot of love and respect for him and it's and it's and that's why i kind of kept it on because um those are the those are the people you know and uh, it was and it felt like a really um nice way of including uh that community you know uh and and completely by accident you know and and that's the other thing about field recording you know I, I, you can you can never um replicate that moment you can't produce that moment in a, in another way mm-hmm. you know it is that moment absolutely that, that's what it is and um uh and i think there's something really beautiful about that you know there's something really beautiful about that it's like yeah. um it's like fishing right you know <laughs> You 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 stand there for for hours and hours and hours, and sometimes you'll catch something, and sometimes you won't. And and at that particular moment, I caught this thing. Um, <laughs> I caught that girl, and I caught my dog. And then uh, I walked off down the street, and you know, and that movement as well, I think, is really important. That mm. that that sense of moving from place to place, um, especially connected to memory and sonic memory, I think, is really important. So there is a lot of me walking around on that uh, rec- on that album, um, you know, not just being static. And I think that that's that's also part of the part of the the feel of it, you know, um, in some mm. ways. But Blackburn's there, you know, and I, and I really wanted that. I really wanted that to be the to be part of the album because it's part of who I am, and everybody is. Um, um, a product of their environment and you can't separate yourself from that environment and the sounds of that environment are um, absolutely ingrained in your character and uh, the way in which you hear the world I think and your perceptions of sound and your perceptions of uh, what it is your your own subjectivity within space you know so mm-hmm. um, so yeah I wanted Blackburn to be really very much a part a part of the the record it's been wicked hearing you talk about it i mean i've been really enjoying the album because i feel like so many sounds if not all of them on that record i feel like are opportunities to open a door into somewhere significant or that leads into a different tangent but as you say there's also a transience and traversal which not forbids you from doing that but takes you somewhere else and encourages you to go back and revisit which i think is absolutely lovely so that is a better incentive than any just to keep listening over and over again so yeah thoroughly enjoying that record um yeah i mean you you know the thing the the thing that kind of strikes me um or what i was trying to do you know like sometimes i'll look at i'll look at my hand and i'll see my dad my dad's hand in my hand right mm. and i'm sure people uh kind of have that experience of loss so you 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 see that person in yourself and it's kind of it's 
it's not an apparition as such, but you know, you, you're connected. You're always connected. You will, I will always be connected to him, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, through my DNA and through my physicality, but also through my memories. But at the point that I see my hand, I might be brushing my teeth, right? So I've got this noise happening. And then there's a, something on the radio that's playing at the same time. So uh-huh. at the same time as I'm remembering that moment in 1982 when, uh, you know, um, I was sat next to him and I looked down and I saw his hand. All those things kind of um, are transparencies over one another and all the sounds that, that, that come to mind at that point are transparencies over the sounds that you're hearing now. You can't separate the two or, or the three or the four or the six or the ten. You, you know, all those things are, <laughs> uh, are transparencies over one another and then you hear that song in your mind but it's not the song that you heard then. It's different. It, right. it, it becomes something new. It's, it's, um, it's been transformed over the period of memory and over time so um in in some small way uh whether or not i've been successful is uh you know another question but um in some small (laughs) way i'm trying to capture um that kind of um transient movement of of memory and and sound you know and um yeah so so that that's that's kind of the 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 basis i suppose of that record and where can people check out that record paul uh so it's on the fractal meat Bandcamp page uh, uh-huh. and it's also on my Bandcamp page um which is uh i think it's paul natraje yeah paul natraje <laughs> Bandcamp and the fractal meat uh, Bandcamp page as well it's it's on there and and i just want to say like a massive 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 shout out to uh uh, to Graham Dunning at uh, mm-hmm. Fractal Meat because you know I, I'd I'd finished it and I I didn't know what to do with it and I think that's because it, it's because it's so personal um, I I just had no clue what to do with it I di- I didn't really have a plan to put it out or anything like that I I just kind of made it and then um, I sent it to Graham and I sent it to a couple of other like like good friends of mine i suppose and um i was like you know what should i do with this Uh, is it worth (laughs) doing anything with and graham was just like yeah let's put it out and and there was there was no question there was no like you know and literally within two weeks um my other good friend matt littler we got together not to heads together and did the artwork and and uh, and Graham was totally behind me, and uh, and and I had massive faith in it to 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 put it out. So I'm I'm forever grateful to him for that. You know, it's uh, it was it was really really brilliant uh, that he that that he got behind it. So um, yeah, big shout out to Graham Dunning. Nice, and it's a wicked label as well. It's a yeah, great super. record, and you're in really good company. Yeah, you know what? I, like honestly, I was uh, blown away because of the, the you know the people who are on on there. So yeah, totally blown away. Uh, very humbled. Uh, it is uh, <laughs> a, a, a lovely thing. To move on to uh, another one of your projects, which seems to have merged recently, and I kind of want to throw this over to you to sort of articulate as much as you want, because I think what's been really interesting is. Um, seeing you communicate about gripe records what is gripe records what can you tell me about it um okay (laughs) well i'll kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit um (laughs) 
as as much as I can anyway. Um, but I'd, have you ever heard of a guy called Mingering Mike? No, I haven't. So Mingering Mike uh, was a dude who basically drew or painted these records, record covers on 12-inch, like, 12-inch covers. Mm-hmm. And all the bands that he painted were made up. They were just, <laughs> right. like, bands from his imagination, and, uh, and he kind of drew these quite rudimentary but brilliant uh, kind of covers for these records, soul records and all sorts of stuff. And lots of diggers in New York started finding these covers and going, what the... What are these things like? Where have they come from? You know, because there's no records in them. They're just covers, right? Wow. Um, so he was just making up, and there's hundreds of them, you know. So he was sitting at home, making up these covers and putting stuff out, you know. And, I, I you know, I find that the, the mystery of that really quite interesting. And then I've got a really good friend who um, called Brian Nicholson who um, started writing, like, nonsense reviews really and uh, he was kind of uh, inspired by the by i mean you, as a as a music journalist you know how difficult it is to um find the right words to describe <laughs> sometimes <laughs> indescribable sounds on a record yeah. and you know there's a certain vernacular of music reviewing you know, which is uh, quite esoteric in some instances. <laughs> and you kind of, you read these reviews and you're like, uh, yeah, uh, it sounds interesting, <laughs> but I've got no idea what it's like supposed to be like. Um, yeah. But w- which is cool. It's brilliant. I love that, like that process of translation. You know, that's, it's a really interesting like mode of, uh, discovery isn't it that that process of translation from someone hearing this esoteric thing and then trying to describe it in a way which is um which, which makes it realized in someone's imagination before they hear it and all that stuff that's really interesting so he was kind of inspired by that so he started writing these uh, nonsense reviews and he was kind of sending them to me and another uh, friend of mine um uh danny watson um so I, w- I just thought, you know what, let's just make these records. <laughs> so, um, let, yeah, you know, let's put, let's put them together. And my initial thought, you know, this is kind of a Dada process, really. So um, instead of just writing songs, what I did was, or what we're doing is, um, we're making cut-up records, actual physical cut-up records with, um, you know, in the vein of... Um, Christian Markley and Milan Nizak and those uh-huh. guys. Yeah. Making cut-up records and then I'm recording those and then giving them to people to make um, remixes from, which then end up being the the records that come out on Gripe. Fabulous. So, it's, uh, so yeah, it's, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, it's a Dada process. And, we, we you know, I think... One of the other things that that leads to it conceptually is this idea of lying. Uh, we're we're in a we're in a society or we're in a a space in time where the truth is uh, very very difficult to come by. Sources are difficult to come by. You know, um, mm-hmm. we we 
what do they call it a post-truth society or whatever yeah you know um but i think that's about consensus more than anything i think if you Mm -hmm. shift the definition then it's difficult to find consensus if it's difficult to find consensus then it's difficult to go forward you know Uh, it's difficult to to um to come together so this idea of of um half truths and and mysticism and uh you know the the mystic idea that's not based in evidence the idea of opinion all those kind of things um especially in terms of government discourse let's say um uh, you know people trying to hide things smoke and mirrors all that kind of stuff um was also kind of part of part of our thinking um uh, in terms of what we were doing there um so nonsense music for nonsense times maybe i don't know <laughs> uh, so so yeah that that's what that's kind of what gripes about um and uh, i think brian and danny is going to probably be upset that i've told you but, <laughs> 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 but anyway but so so yeah that's that's the vibe basically so there's um so there's some videos come in and um we've got we've just yeah this the the first two tracks um uh we've done on the seven so they're coming soon as well and uh you know if you want to buy the original cut up record you can get that and then we've done one of the reviews just as this funny little thing on the back of a fag packet you know like (laughs) there's this um you know this that great story about Joy Division signing their contracts in blood. Have you heard that story? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, in a pub and like um, Anthony Tony Wilson goes, you know what? I, I love you so much that I'm going to cut my hand open and we'll do a contract in blood on the back of a fag packet. And <laughs> you know, and uh, I, you know, I love all that stuff. Like you know, these these kind of mythical moments in music history. So we're just making them up. you know uh to kind of play with that idea we just you know and and uh, like a lot of my stuff i've got to say um it it's quite playful and a bit of fun really you know i think uh sometimes you can get a bit bogged down in uh trying to be dead serious about everything but um yeah yeah you know i think some uh, and and that's not to say we're not serious about the music and and you, you know that's deadly serious in terms of you know we, we're not making stuff that we're doing to take the piss it's like you know the the thought process in terms of the the way that things are written what they sound like the the the, the outcomes are are very much uh, you know these they're they're serious and and we wouldn't i don't think we'd never put anything in front of anyone that we thought was a bit crap you know it's not about that (laughs) but but um but it's definitely that kind of process of just playing with materials you know you know uh definitely you know that kind of that playful element is 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 um is very much a part of what 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 i do i think excellent well we'll link people to or i will um, link people to Gripe Records in the show notes as well. So let's move on to some important records now, Paul. So one question I like to ask before we dive into your picks is how you thought about the term important when coming up with your selection. So was there a way that you thought about that term to come up with the records that you did? 
Yeah, I think they, they were they were important kind of milestones in my listening. Let's put it that way. Hmm. Um, so they were things that opened doors to other things, and they were, or they are, um, records that that moved me um, to kind of understand sound better, and also to kind of understand my listening better. Um, and and were just mega important in my life, you know. I think they were important in my life, mm. uh, into at different points in my life. They were they were the things that kind of really captured me at that point, and subsequently have stayed with me, and as, and subsequently still influence me to this day, you know. So um, yeah, they, they've they've been those kind of pillars, I suppose, of. Uh, important pillars of my of my listening yeah okay cool well whichever one you want to go with first uh, uh well yeah i mean i think just as a as maybe a nice segue from the idea of playfulness um that uh probably <laughs> della soul three feet iron rising because um it's you know it's silly isn't it you know <laughs> uh it's a pretty silly record uh in in yeah. many respects and the reason why it's important for me is because it was really the first record that I, it was the first record I ever bought that I bought myself that wasn't just buying pop music. You know, it was that record where I went, oh my God, I've got to get this record. <laughs> like, um, uh, you know, so I heard it, the first time I heard it, and again, this is linked to my dad, uh, because everything that you do when you're that age is linked to your family, right? So I remember very vividly always, uh, and that's another thing which I think is really important. Sorry to to, to go tangential, but um, I think it's really important that that, that those records that that you listen to when you're growing up, you know, they they have an influence on your family too. Absolutely. Because you're listening to them in your house, like with everybody else, you know, so uh, they, they get, as much of it in a way as as you do anyway so um <laughs> so i'm sitting listening watching top of the pops uh and della soul come on top of the pops and i'm pretty sure that they were doing i know mm-hmm. uh on top of the pops and there's these you know postanus and uh, plug one rapping uh in like really amazing like big flat tops and the 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 leather chains on and colourful clothes and all that and then um uh Maceo behind a pair of turntables and that noise came out of the T V speakers and I was just like, What is going on? You know <laughs> like uh I was twelve I think at that point. Um so yeah, nineteen eighty nine I was twelve and I was just like this is the best thing I've ever seen. It's just unbelievably <laughs> brilliant. Uh, I totally love it. And, and and I immediately loved it, you know, and was immediately enthralled and, like, immediately didn't really want to know about anything else, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anything else that came on top of the pops at that point, I was just like, I'm not bothered. So I think the day after... Um, I, th- I went to our price and uh i think it was 2.99 on cassette oh result. um and i bought the cassette and brought it home and then and it was just like mate 
<laughs> you know, just totally blown away. Um, and just listened to it over and over again. And I think, you know, just listening back to it in the last couple of days, I mean, what a cre- it, it opens with that game show thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's about I don't know it's quite long maybe two minutes long or something, uh-huh. and they're just talking doing this kind of cartoon esque game show thing, you know, uh, <laughs> asking weird questions like I don't know what does he say, how many feathers how many feathers are on a poor do chicken and you're like what <laughs> you know, but when you're twelve you're like this is brilliant yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know. This is the best thing ever. And there's like a, a real daftness about it, but a real like openness about it. You know? Totally. There's this there's this there's this really beautiful, fun, kind of energetic, very open, like uh freedom about it, which is which is amazing really. And um so yeah, I was just enthralled from that point. Uh and what what that then did was uh, you know, on I think on the track Buddy, Del, uh, Jungle Brothers are on Buddy and Q-Tips on Buddy, uh, and Q-Tips got a, a verse on on something else as well. I can't remember what it is now. I think it's on Description. I think Q-Tips on there. And so, literally within two weeks, I bought um, Done by the Forces of Nature by the Jungle uh. Brothers, and then I'd bought, uh, and that was actually I found my first record shop because of that. Because, um, so there was a record shop in Blackburn called Astonishing Sounds, which is run by a dude called Neil. And uh, I think by the time I was like 13, I was just going there all the time, uh, <laughs> looking, looking for hip hop records. And uh, I bought my first vinyl album was uh, People's Instinctive Travels on the Passive Rhythm by uh, Tribe Called Quest first album that I bought from him. And, and that was it then. I was just like, right. Everything hip hop was was kind of where <laughs> where I was at, and uh, you know, my, I, I got the local news agents to start stocking hip hop connection for me, wow. and uh, I'd run down there and buy that off them, and and that you know, so it opened this, it opened up uh, this this amazing kind of door uh, to 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 uh, to to hip hop, which has stayed with me. All, all my life really so yeah it was uh, so it's like in in terms of that yeah it, that that's why it's so important you know uh, yeah because it's yeah. been it's yeah. been kind of it's it's a day one record is that it's a day one record <laughs> you know um i want to go back to something you said about the fact that it imprints upon your family as well what did your family make of your newfound interest in Della soul and hip-hop generally, generally. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, I, I thought they totally didn't get it um, particularly, <laughs> but you know I, they were just open to you know there was no stopping me anyway. So there wasn't right, any yeah, like yeah. It, it was just that. So the, so it was like I I think even even you know when you're that young and you're listening to kind of bad language, you know, because at, at the time. Um, NWA album had just dropped, so I think I bought that pretty early on. And you know, uh, I was listening to Public Enemy, so Public Enemy is another really important album for me, uh, mm. which was um, Takes the Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. Uh-huh. I think the thing that was important about it 
in terms of my family was that they I started to then read a lot so when I was listening to hip hop like avidly and I've got to say in in many ways hip hop was the door to scholarship um, as well because hip hop allowed me to kind of really think about the social practice of music and it it was the door that kind of made me understand that music exists not just as a commodity but it exists as a thing which allows people to express what's going on in their lives and what's going on in society and is a pedagogic tool in many ways Mm -hmm. right so I learned loads (laughs) <laughs> you know i learned so much um by reading books um that w- that people were referencing in in uh, in hip-hop jams you know uh, and trying to understand what was going on in other parts of the world right yeah because you you have um same thing with any kind of mainstream media um culture or capital you you know you have mainstream media that that produces certain ideology, uh, produce certain ways of looking at the world, produce certain um, understandings of the world. And then this hip hop thing came out of nowhere. And for a guy, uh, a kid in Blackburn, um, all of a sudden it opened up a whole new door to me. And I think also being mixed race in that town, what it also did was allow me to identify with something um, that was closer to how I saw myself in the mirror, right? Uh, and those representations completely at that point, you know, we're talking early 90s, they didn't exist on TV. Right, the, yeah. You know, yeah. That, those those characters weren't there, those representations were, weren't there. Representations of Asian kids were poor, to say the least, you know, Um and all of a sudden, and, and I mean, this comes later. I'm not talking about like, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm 12 years old and all of a sudden I get all this stuff uh, <laughs> at all. Uh, not, not, in, not by any stretch of the imagination, but, but between being 12 and 17, let's say, in that five-year period, that, mm-hmm. that kind of diversity of voice, right? The understanding that there is a marginalised voice and that it's not being represented in the things that you see and hear every day and that there is popular culture and there is other cultures and uh-huh. those cultures are um, vibrant and deep and... Uh, have got uh, this amazingly wonderful history uh, also connected me to this idea of indianness mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. which was which obviously i got through my family but was was missing in terms of culture and and hip hop was a way into that you know and then i found uk hip hop off the back of that so things like crispy 3 uh, guys from chorley gunshot hijack you know um like First Frontal Assault, Silver Bullet, Caveman, Outlaw Posse, Overlord X, MC Mello, like all these all these UK voices were then going, you know what, the, the, the UK isn't Blackburn, it's about all these other things. And then you've got Asian rappers like, you know, the Caliphs, and you're like, what, mate? Like, <laughs> you know. Oh, oh, and that was a that was a real education. It was a real true education. And 
you know, David Teep's first book, The Rap Attack, I think it came out in 82 or something. Like, uh-huh. That was one of the first books I bought, you know, and I've been, I've been reading David Teep since then. So, you know, so that that stuff was was a real education. It was a, a real um, is a real door to to kind of understanding the world in 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 a in a more diverse and um, in a more diverse and, and interesting uh, way, which which allowed me to identify my racial self. You know, my my mixed race self within the within the uh, Blackburn mills <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you know within that northern that northern uh space and actually that kind of idea of like you know um being northern but being indian uh and being mixed race white my you know my mum's uh my granddad was polish so that kind of uh, they call it you know to use bell hooks's term they call it intersectionality don't they but to but to uh-huh. understand that transnationalism you know the yeah. idea that you know I, I I am all of those things. You know, uh, I think th- that 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 spark um, was catalyzed by those hip hop records and was then um, uh, given thrift in terms of yeah, um, given given the credence to to and I was given the credence to explore that right through mm-hmm. through through those hip-hop records and through those voices you know so um so yeah really important in terms of uh in terms of what who i am you know it's it's you know and again you go back to that idea that you know you you are a product product of your environment and um it just so happened again that moment right that i sat in front i sat in front of the telly at that point and saw that thing and it set me off on a path you know so um so yeah, it, mega important record, you know. <laughs> yeah, the odds are stacked against you though, aren't they? In that sense, especially if you've got a pervasive media culture which does not provide those doorways into understanding yourself and hearing marginalised voices express themselves like that. If you if you don't interact or you are not able to because you know they they, they only come up once in a blue moon. If you don't have one of those opportunities. Uh, you know, that's you're, suddenly your life goes on a completely different tangent, and your, I guess, your sense of self is completely transformed just because you know these kind of experiences and exposures were, and I guess still are as well, to a large extent, but squashed to the sidelines. Yeah, I think that's true. I think for how can I put it? In some ways, like at that point, being mixed race in Blackburn was in a way isolating from that because mm. you know even though we were we were very very uh connected to our indianness and our indian family and our indian culture um through through my dad uh you know he was still saying you know still practicing hindu so um we we had all we had our exposure to that but i think um you you're kind of right it's about um young young voices you know right yeah like the, the the young voices expressing their their nowness uh-huh. right uh-huh. Uh, which which actually I, I got to through the record shop to a greater or lesser degree you know so so yeah and 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 people sharing stuff at school you know as soon as you go oh i'm into this then all of a sudden <laughs> All of, all of a sudden, these people who you'd never talked to go, "Oh my yeah. god!" You know, yeah. I've got, 
<laughs> I've got a tape of the leaders of the new school album. You're like, what? You've got that? <laughs> that like, seriously? Like, brilliant. That's amazing. Yeah. Like, you know, so, and, and people do find their way to these things, uh, you know, uh, and even then when there was no internet and, and uh, you know, there's a beauty of that as well in the, in the record shop, in record shop culture, I think, which is you just hang around in them places and you sit in there and you wait and someone comes in and goes, oh, can I listen to this? And they put it on and you go, oh my gosh. Right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, you know, um, and and hip hop connection was a massive uh, was a massive thing in my life at that point as well. Yeah, hip hop connection was really important. And how has your relationship with this Della Soul record changed over time? Because obviously, you know, it must have done being the first ever hip hop record you heard during uh, <laughs> to now. So so where does your relationship with this record sit now? You know what's really interesting. I just said to my wife like just before uh, logging on to speak to you. That, uh, actually I don't really know that much about it and um, <laughs> you know in terms of I don't know every sample and I don't know how it was made and uh, I know Prince Paul produced it right and um, I know there's something interesting here I think which is which is kind of cool I know that they were from Long Island right mm-hmm. and the majority or there was and there's an isolation to that because th- at that point I, I suppose the big uh, the bigger players in hip hop were either Bronx or Brooklyn, uh, uh-huh. or in in the the middle of Manhattan or whatever. So these guys were a little bit isolated. They were a little bit outside of that, and 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 it does feel like an outsider record. Yes, where they just um, you know rhyming some intro like rhyming in a way that nobody else was rhyming and talking about things that nobody else was talking about and doing things in their own way and i think there's something really interesting about that the idea of of being separate and that giving you the space to have your own voice uh without the kind of clamor of um the way that things should be done outside of convention you know Mm -hmm. breaking convention and isolation i think to a greater or lesser degree plays into that and and um and i think it's important and in a way the stuff that i I hear now um not just in hip-hop but in pop music as well i mean it's and i might be getting this really wrong so if i am i I apologize but it all sounds very flat to me you Uh know Uh there's 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 a there's a very conventional way of writing beats uh, there's, you know, the the 808 kick and the clap and the stuttering hi hat is is now a thing, you know, uh, uh, the vocoder lyrics and and rhyming styles and all that stuff, and that seems to be the world over. Uh huh. So you, you're hearing stuff from Africa that that could easily be made by some dude in London that could easily be made by some dude in New York that could easily be made by some dude in Toronto that could uh, that actually sounds like some records that are coming out of Jamaica or whatever <laughs> so there's a flatness to it and i think that 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 is because everybody so inv- so knows so much about what everybody else is doing so the, so there's no space to experiment outside of that constant kind of churn of branding which mm-hmm. uh, is inherent in sharing stuff on the internet yeah you know because because of the attention economy so um and that's just my my like little way of looking at it i'm sure these these very i'm sure these and, and there are tons of examples that that go against that that theory but that 
but that's kind of what I see. But this record is like these dudes in isolation in Long Island, in a studio with the mates going, this is what we're going to do. And actually don't much care if anyone gets it or not, because no. we're totally, because be- we totally believe in what we're doing and it's dope. And we're just going to do it <laughs> and we're just going to do it anyway. And so it proved and you, you, you know, and, um, and yeah, it's got its big singles on there, you know, Magic Number and I Know and, you know, me, myself and I and all that. But actually, if you're talking about how it's changed over time, the things that are more interesting to me are the skits and the right, little, right. little in betweeny bits and the, the records that have produced actually really badly, <laughs> you know, to, to a greater or lesser degree. They don't sound great. The, you know, these, these are a couple of things where these pops all over the mics and all that stuff. And you can, mm-hmm. there's, but there's an energy about them and you can feel the experiment, that you can feel that they're, they're an experiment, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, and they're, they're really interesting, you know. Um, and just kind of listening through it again, you know, um, gosh, things like Daisy Age is amazing. You know, uh-huh. what what a brilliant record that is. A tread water. No, yeah. he's talking about squirrels. It's like an Aesop yeah. rock type, <laughs> an Aesop fables type of thing, you know. Yeah. Can you keep a secret? You know, all all these funny little things these funny little experiments that they were doing that are kind of in between the the, the hits in inverted commas are, 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 are just brilliant you know just brilliant and and I, again like i had no idea how they made this music you know right and and, and actually I, I really didn't get that whole you know I, I read about some stuff two turntables and chopping up breaks and all that stuff but i didn't really ever get sampling particularly and you know in a way it didn't the penny didn't drop for it for a for a while i was just like this sounds brilliant <laughs> um you know my mate uh, when i went to university my mate had an mpc and, and he was a great beat maker like really really good uh producer called cy and he did some stuff for, for a label called y and r and he, he made great, like, brilliant beats, like, really s- superb, like, primo-esque boom-bap stuff. Just brilliant. And, uh, you know, and he'd sit me down and go, right, this is how the MPC works. And it, it was just like, I don't know. I didn't know what was going on, man. And he was just like, y- you, you just have a go. You, you Like, it's it's easy. You do this and you do It's like, no idea. No idea. But, um... But yeah, so so I didn't get it, but but it sounded great to me. And now, and listening back, like the the detail of um, the detail and the way that those, those samples work together, and the ear to put certain things with the certain things, you know, uh-huh. the, the stuff on there, you know, playing samples at forty five actually really fast, which then becomes a staple of like Jay Diller's beats right, later yeah. on, you know, that forty five. Uh, soul soul stuff sped up you know all that you can hear that you can hear the beginnings of that on um uh, on on three feet iron rising and uh so prince paul's work on it was just outstanding really 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 something else uh yeah amazing and uh, yeah re- really brilliant and that choice you know i love that idea of micro and macro you know like t- tiny tiny little bits of stuff that then uh, aggregate to make a whole but they're coherent and, yes yes and uh you know and i i get 
the same thing in DJ sets or in you know you know put, putting together the right pieces at the right time to produce yeah. something that that feels like it's supposed to be one thing and I think that's just amazing as well um so I mean there's so much to talk about with this record I really like I think they, they never got paid for this record I know that much because um, all the sample all the sampling royalties as they're still paying off the sampling royalties because they had no they had no kind of um conception that actually everybody had come down heavy on them and and want their little piece and if you think about the amount of samples that they used and quite big samples you know oh yeah what they, you oh, got yeah. steely dan on there and hall and oats on there and you know like there's there's quite a few big big well-known bands and and they just got they just got totally it just got totally like uh lawsuited up to the hilt man it was just like later you know that you you're not getting anything out of this and they're still not getting anything out of it you know um but i suppose what they have got out of it is the is um the recognition that it was an unbelievably uh pioneering piece of work you know um and uh and it obviously went on to do amazing stuff you know so so yeah and if we were going to play a little clip of one of the tracks now, what would be your preference? Daisy Age. Resident. Resident supported by the speaker view. Want to feel it in your shoe? Let me show you how. Platform. Witnesses. Witnesses. Show you to my show lab. Fill you with my vocab. Hope you have a spoon. Discuss. Contracts, you like the way I vocalize, we bring it to a compromise. My PA won't set up till noon, it's a daisy age. Sun, ceiling, ceiling connects to the sun, burning inside everyone on the side, plug a fire. Paul, let's go to your second important record now again your choice whichever one you want you want to talk about next uh yeah okay so the next one is um uh, and we're do, kind of doing this chronologically yeah uh-huh so, so uh heart of the congos by the congos uh produced by lee scratch perry at black arc studios came out in 1977 which was the year that i was born but huh. I came across I came across it in 1996, and I bought the uh, Blood and Fire reissue from a record shop in Manchester. And uh, Blood and Fire were kind of were a reggae reissue label uh, based in Manchester. So yeah, I got that I got that version, knowing absolutely nothing about them um, at all. I've been listening to Bob Marley, um, mm-hmm. probably, and again, you know, uh, through through the hip hop thing, really, you know. So I've been listening to Bob Marley records, and actually, this was a real tight call between Natty Dread and uh, and this. It was a tight call between <laughs> them, to be honest, um, because Bob Marley's also Bob Marley's music has also been really important in my in my life, but um, so yeah. But this came out on top. Um, so I bought it in 1996 and um, I knew about Lee Perry um, mm-hmm. but I didn't know 
who the Congos were or what they were about or anything. And uh, another one of those moments of putting it on and just being absolutely gobsmacked, you know, uh, to the point where it was... Yeah, and, and I still am. Like, I genuinely am. I, I've, I've listened to it tonight again just before we came uh, before we, 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 we I jumped on here with you and uh, it just makes me cry man I, like it absolutely uh-huh. f- it fills me up that record it totally fills me up it's like it's uh, yeah it's a it's a really really amazing piece of work and I think it's it's so other it doesn't feel to me like a reggae record at all it feels right. like something completely. It, it transcends genre, I think, uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. and I think it transcends, like, yeah, it it's transcendental. I think in its uh, um, hmm. in its songwriting and also in its sound. And I think that one of the it it really moves me emotionally. Um, but it's also so unbelievably beautiful in terms of the coherence of message, feeling, spiritual feeling, and the mm. way that's delivered through this through the sound of it. It it just feels like a completely beautiful and perfect Im- amalgamation of noise. Right, <laughs> and uh, of of noise and uh, and feeling and emotion, mm. and there's there's something in the way that Perry does that, which is genius, if you ask me. He he taps into something in that with those singers and those songs, which is just beyond. You know, it's beyond. Um, and I just I read a little thing the other day. I'm I'm going to read it right. Um, I, I'm sorry to to this, but I'm going to read it. So it's from uh, David Katz's uh, Lee Scratch Perry book, which is called uh, People Funny Boy, right? And um, it's basically um, Roy Johnson, who's one of the singers from the Congos. Uh, he worked with Perry like a, a few years before they did the Congos record, and they cut a single and. Uh, it was it wasn't very good and so uh, perry got somebody else to voice it and then roy johnson went off and he hadn't seen perry for yet like th- six years or something right so and, and then he took this is the story of them two getting together again so he says one day i was at my home over in independent city playing my guitar i see this guy walk in through the gate and it was scratch he told me that he was looking for a breadfruit tree to plant at his house i said <laughs> Yeah, man, I can get you a breadfruit tree, but what's going on with the music business? He said, I've got a studio now, you know. So I picked up my guitar and I started to sing Roll Fisherman Row. Scratch said, Shanty, come to the studio, make we record the song. And that, to me, right, sums it up, which is Lee Scratch Perry's looking for a breadfruit tree. <laughs> And and the, the the fact that he's looking for a breadfruit tree to put in his garden leads to them getting together to make the Congos album. Yeah. And it is yeah. that and it is that true that record. <laughs> it is of the earth. 
mm-hmm. you know it's it's kind of it's earth music it taps into something like bigger than it you know it's mm-hmm. it's got balance it's got escapism it's got all these like the, this really ancient imagery it's hymnal it's spiritual it's timeless you know um it but it's funky yeah and it's full of experimentation it's it's like full of voices it's like it's like familial and and all this energy to it you know there's a lyric in it he says you've got to reach a higher ground and in a way when you're listening to it you feel like you are doing that right well well i do anyway you know but still <laughs> it but then there's all these like digital drum machines on it mm-hmm. so he's got like drum machines playing on some tracks congo man for yeah. example and congo man is like the the most earthy chant hypnotic like grounded piece of music that you'll ever hear but with this (laughs) with this with this digital kind of vibe going through it but that but the digital stuff doesn't feel like it's completely out of place you know it feels like it's a it feels like a record that taps into something that's lost you know and and i and it yeah i I find it really um uh i don't know <laughs> really, really eph- ephemeral, but at the yes. same time, really solid. Like really solid and really grounded, you know. Um, and I can't. What I wrote something down about the voices. I was going to ask you about the voices. That was the first thing that hit me. Yeah, you know, I think it's this thing, right? So the 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 voices. And, and and the way that he does the dubs are just unbelievable. But you've got these voices that ring and this balance between the voices. And that's why I was talking about them feeling familial because they, they, they fit together so beautifully. And that uh-huh. was another thing that Perry did, which he had two voices. Uh, so the the falsetto and the tenor were there. And and then he was like, oh, this isn't working. So he got that bass, that, you know, the uh, the baritone voice, um, which I think is Watty Burnett. And and that and that counterpoint of those three voices is unbelievable, right? Just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they disappear, like they're there and then they disappear. And you've kind of always got this movement from kind of foregrounded voices to background voices, and this movement of like significant significations from punctuation to just being atmospheres, you know, mm. and melodies to just being atmospheres. And the way that he does that is just beyond and it kind of goes back to this idea of uh trying to catch something or trying to catch these moments in time these these ephemeral voices that that are always becoming and always being lost Mm. you know this kind of um idea of sound of always going into silence and always you you know sound is always in the now and then being lost again and it and it does that so beautifully that you, you kind of feel as though you're 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 uh grasping at something but you're always being left with with um with some kind of warmth from that yeah from the fact that it's gone you know uh and 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 i think that's also to do with with the way that he recorded it so um i think all the other studios had 16 tracks and scratch had four tracks and he bounced everything down constantly bouncing everything down like onto onto like so everything's like uh 
entangled with it, with everything else you know <laughs> yeah. and, and and it does have that kind of feeling to it and i love that as well i love that about scratch that you know he's got a paucity of equipment in terms of what everybody else was doing mm-hmm. but he makes it his you know and and gets something out of it that that's just got energy and this really you know and this really unique feel um you know the cymbal crashes. I mean, I, I I've never heard cymbal crashes like them. They're <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, and and it's joyful, and it's joyful, and it's hopeful, whilst also being full of melancholy, and you know, being full of uh, trouble, in mm. a way, and this kind of hopefulness of movement. I think is 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 within its within it. Um, so yeah, it, it's a it's a beautiful record. Just a just a really beautiful record. Yeah. Another question I wanted to ask was about when you f- first discover this record. When you think back to that experience of first discovering this record, like where are you when you're listening to this record back then? What are your memories of first discovering it? Oh man, that's a that's a really really interesting question. Um, Ninety six. So. 96 I will have just have gone to university I think at that point no but I bought it I was in Blackburn when I first when I first got it uh, and I used to DJ at a club called uh, Jazzy Kex back in the day when I was 16 I started DJing at this place and um, it had a massive set like uh, the guy who, who ran the night was called Marcus and he, he had uh, this really massive sound system uh like big bins and all that. When there's when when there was no one in the club, we just used to listen to to reggae as pretty much <laughs> as loud as we could, or dub music as loud as we could. So um, it was around about that time, and we were listening to lots of stuff at that point. Mikey Dread was another really important uh, artist at that time. Dread at the controls, World War Three album, really important. Uh, there's a track on there called Style, Jumping Master as well. Brilliant records. Um, but a lot cleaner than this, and I think the the thing that I love about the, this Congo's record is 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 the the dirtiness, you know, yeah. in a way, you know, yeah. and and these earthy sounds, you know, he's got a cow mooing <laughs> on one of the tracks. I can't remember what track is it, you know. Um, <laughs> I can't I can't remember what track it is, but there's a cow right. on it, but it doesn't sound it doesn't sound out of place at all. It doesn't. Right. It sounds like. Right the cow should have been in the studio at that time you know and that he was probably the cow was probably standing next to scratch and he was feeding it some i don't know <laughs> whatever he had to hand at the time and this guy like it just it just feels like it, he's supposed to be there the cow uh, so <laughs> but yeah the, you know it's just got this earthiness to it and i think this kind of this this real connection to to something bigger than the than us um mm. you know which moves me really you know so yeah so that that's where i was and then uh yeah took it to university and uh just listen i yeah i always listen to congos just it's just another one of those things that um is is a constant in my life really since the point of um since the point of finding it it's just it's just one of those albums that's always there and to be honest i've ne- i've not really ever bothered to listen to and, and that's really bad, isn't it? Um, but I've never really bothered to listen to to listen to any other Congo's records. Um, particularly, it's not like I've gone, oh, you know what? I'm going to have to 
find everything that they do and uh, and kind of be a completist about um, you know listening to every Congo's record that exists because in a way I I, I don't know this is enough yeah right <laughs> you know, it's it's yeah, um, right yeah exactly it, it, it's yeah. it's so brilliant that um, yeah it it does the job so, so to speak mm. and again if we we're going to play a little clip here I mean do you have a favorite track? Oh man, it's really difficult. Um Ark of the Covenant and the dub. So the dub version as it as it moves for actually as it moves from the from the vocal to the dub, that transition is just uh, a wonderful thing. Cool. So, Paul, you've got one more important record. Tell me what it is and what it's important to you. Yeah. So the last one is not an album. Uh, it's yes. just a piece, and yes. it is uh, Alvin Lucier. Um, I am sitting in a room, and um, I discovered it in, I reckon, two thousand and six. Around that time, mm-hmm. and it was the first time really that I heard experimental music in that sense, you know, in the sense of like modern composition, of something being conceptual, of kind of, uh, yeah, of experimental music that, 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 because really up until that point, I was pretty much listening to, to hip hop. Uh, l- quite a lot of funk, jazz, uh, Latin, a uh, lot of dub, a lot of reggae, um, that kind of stuff, really. Mm. And then around about 2004, five, I started, uh, someone kind of put me on to, in fact, it was uh, Brian, who I'm doing great with now, and huh. uh, another friend of mine, Jamie Holman, who's a, who's a, a really great artist, uh, visual artist but also do, does lots of great stuff uh, is worth l- uh, looking up um they kind of started to put me onto bits and pieces of other stuff and one of the first things that they put me onto was um the cut-ups by brian geisen and william burrows hmm. because they were they were obviously i was listening to hip-hop and they were like well you know what the, <laughs> this you know and and they also put me onto plunder phonics and you know that stuff, um, and that was kind of my in uh, to that stuff. And actually, the other thing that was mega, mega important at that time for me was a piece called "Weekend" by Walter Ruttman, uh-huh. um, which was recorded on a sound film. Uh, and he, he kind of, he, Walter Ruttman takes a trip from, I think, uh, 
I might be getting this wrong. So for those people who know, I apologise if my facts aren't <laughs> straight. But I think he goes um, from Berlin and he goes out to the country and he records the the sounds that he hears over that time. And it's a it's a montage piece uh, of of bits and of, of that travel. Um, and I think it was from 1931. And I heard that and I was just like really blown away by that. You know, the 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 idea of just field recordings being able to be narratively used and also to to kind of build sonic worlds um, and to move people through sonic worlds. So I was mm. kind of starting to get into little bits and pieces of stuff like that, you know. Um, but doing it totally, again, isolated on my own, just, just digging around, kind of trying to find stuff. Um, and then I came across this. Um, and I, the first time I heard it, actually, it was on YouTube, and I think it was, uh-huh. the, it was the it was it was my first forays into into the world of YouTube as well, because uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. this was one of the fir- <laughs> this is one of the first things I found. Um, so yeah, uh, and and again, uh, as with the other two, really, it completely blew my mind, um, and uh, and I just listened to it over and over and over again because. In a in a way, it's it's so fragile, and I've kind of understood Lucier's work after that as being quite fragile, um, and this kind of idea of embodiment is really important, um, and there's a playfulness to it as well. Yeah, <laughs> again, yeah. Uh, which which I think is which I think is really really interesting. Um, but yeah, it kind of really introduced me to the idea of sound in a space hmm. uh, and the liveness of sound in a space and the idea that you can put sound in a space and it and it becomes something else, you know. Um, and I never really understood that before because everything that I, I knew was records. Right, <laughs> yeah. Know? Uh, yeah. Hi-fi stereos, records, putting a record on, putting a record on, putting a record on, and um, you know this this was was that that connection between sound, the movement of sound in space, and and technology, but technology not really being there, and again. You know, a, a little bit like the sampling thing. I didn't really get what he was doing in 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 many respects. Hmm. You know, but I knew there was a science there, and there was this beautiful, simplistic, elegant idea. Right, it's hmm. such an elegant idea, but but the science wasn't the thing. The science is kind of the science of it is hidden underneath the fragility of the subjectivity of the of the speaker. You know. And and I and I and I thought that was wonderful. And I also thought what was wonderful was the transparency of it. The yeah. the, the the piece starts with with him telling you what the thing is going to do. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah. and in and in a way that immediately hooks you. It's like it's like uh, the most perfect example of the hermeneutic code, isn't it? It's like what. You immediately then go. I-, I want to know what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, straight away. So you you're immediately compelled to to stay with him, but not but and you stay with him sitting in the room in this really like kind of 
interesting familial way where you sit with your granddad and he tells you a story <laughs> but but actually he's he's already told the story and all you're doing you, you and you're waiting for the story to to envelop you uh-huh and that's just outstanding and the way that shape the the sound shapes over time you know um and shifts us through different dimensions and I, and, and where it ends up where it gets to is which is strangely digital yeah I, uh, you know yeah. the first time i heard it i was like how is that not happening through some kind of computer you know, right that time stretch that kind of time stretch weird fit sound that you get um and i also love this idea of him hiding something but hiding it so the you know that the, the, this idea of the stutter and he's trying to he's trying to he's trying to ameliorate the 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 difficulties he has with his speech by putting this thing in process and allowing that process to then um, to help him you know <laughs> yeah. to 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 hide to hide the the thing that he feels that he's got his hang up about right. Um, and and that just happens over time beautifully and so he becomes this kind of weird digital ghost yeah but while he's still yeah. sit while he's still sitting in the room and uh, you know it's just so elegant and i think this this thing about sound not it it can't be anything but site specific it it always is and it functions in the space and the space is and so therefore is contingent on us because we are the space yes and we put the thing into the space so it's all about energy and you put the energy into the space and whatever you put in transforms itself into something into something that somebody else kind of uh, holds on to or, or moves with or or shifts or understands or or uh, is being able to 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 um to connect with yeah Mm-hmm. Um, and then so it draws us in to this kind of ever inc- decreasing void and we're trying to capture that voice all the time uh, we're trying to imagine the person as uh, as the person kind of drifts away from us into the technology back through the technology and back out into the room and it's that interplay between that and the room which is like hugely compelling yeah yeah <laughs> you know because yeah. uh, we're always trying to find it again <laughs> you know and so therefore it plays with this idea of our subjective memory as well uh, yeah i was um, just gonna say so it so in a, so in a way it's a piece that you're not just listening to him you're listening to y- yourself yeah because you're listening to to the remembrance of the voice as it was uh, and i and i love that yeah. you know um you know and the, and there's this really beautiful as well it's the it's i think with all these records as well i think that's this is the connecting i suppose point is that this as i see it anyway a complete originality in terms of the form the sound and the idea you know because the congo's record doesn't sound like any other reggae record and the alvin lucier thing uh, piece I, I've never heard anything else like it. Uh-huh. And people have have tried to 
do stuff like have tried to replicate it or whatever but at the point that he did it first that I, I, I can't I mean again there'd probably be uh, people who know better than me but I can't think or haven't heard or haven't read about anything that's that's like it at all mm-hmm. it, it's a it's a purely elegant and original idea from him and actually the the De La Soul record doesn't sound like any other hip-hop records that were being made at that at that point yeah these the, rapping but in 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 some ways it, it's it's of itself yes and and in all those cases I think the the question for me is like what sounded like that before it <laughs> yeah and and in all those in all those three cases i can't think of anything that did mm-hmm. and uh, and and i think that's that and that's really compelling for me i, I find that really amazing you know um but yeah it, it's it's beautiful it's a beautiful piece you know the slowness of it's amazing you know yeah. having to wait you, you're kind of having to wait for the room to catch up, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and th- this kind of an active, uh, an active meditation about that, which is uh, beguiling and 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 compelling, you know. So um, I love it. I, I think it it reveals something about us, doesn't it? And it reveals something about our rhythms and our parlances and our behaviours and our hang-ups and our sound records them and how we speak about them and how we don't speak about them and you know um, yeah yeah I, th- I think it's real and it's really universal and and uh, um yeah and says a lot about the about human beings i think absolutely um, not just about sound but um says a lot about human beings so so yeah and, and i first did that on youtube and and then um my wonderful and beautiful wife uh bought me the um illuminated by the moon box set uh, a couple of years ago um and you know again a little bit like the congos record really i didn't kind of hear that and then go oh my god i've got to buy everything that alvin lucier does right um, yeah not for not for yeah. not for a few years i was i was more than happy just to keep going back to that and being uh, and being blown away by it every time you know <laughs> and it, and it, yeah and again i think with these records and I, maybe not so much the della soul uh, i've got to say not these days anyway but but um I, the congo's record and the alvin lucier piece i just never tire of listening to to them mm-hmm. you know uh, i just never tire of listening to them i am sitting in a room different from the one you are in now I am recording the sound of my speaking voice and I am going to play it back into the room again and again until the resonant frequencies of the room reinforce themselves so that any semblance of my speech with perhaps the exception of rhythm is destroyed. What you will hear then are the natural resonant frequencies of the room articulated by speech. I regard this activity not so much as a demonstration of a physical fact, 
but more as a way to smooth out any irregularities my speech might have. Paul, this has been wicked. Thank you so much for digging into these three records and your own music, your own projects as well. I've had the most fabulous time. Thank you so much. And uh, once again, uh, I re- really appreciate you uh, you inviting me on. Uh, it's a great podcast, so um, I'm, I'm very honoured to be here. So thank you very much. Thanks, man. And to everyone listening, see you next time. Bye-bye.